Take your Bibles, please, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. I have titled the message tonight, Paul in all things approved. In all things approved. You know, sometimes we wind up getting into a habit of doing something when we're reading God's word. We'll, we'll go through certain verses and when there's detail, we'll read the detail and we'll have an attitude of like, wow, that, is, that really, you know, that's something. Boy, look what he went through. But we don't slow down and, and really kind of pull it apart and say, okay, now, what, what did he mean when he said that? And as, as I was doing that this last week, ask, ask my wife. I walked out of the, my office a couple of three days ago and I said, <laughs> I'm telling you, honey, I feel like I have been on holy ground. Just, it was, it was overwhelming. We're talking about a brother in Christ. You know, we sometimes look at people like Paul and we think, wow, there was just something different. And there was. He had a walk with God that was stunning. Now, I don't know how many of you have ever done this, but when you read through not just Paul, but others, and it's, you're just, it's like, Lord, I want to walk with you like that. I just do. There was a thought I was going to bring along this line. I'm not going to go to it now. I don't want to super complicate this message. And quite honestly, in everything that I have, I feel like if I give you everything, it's going to be overwhelming. I'm going to pray that God just guide me and give what is good for us to hear. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray and instead of going to verse 1, we're just going to go to verse 4 and just read through. I, I, I love the entire chapter. In fact, how it bleeds into chapter 7. We're going to read verses 4 through 10. Let's, let's make sure we listen to what God has to say. And by the way, I want to thank the Selbies for trimming the ship tonight. So when I look over this direction... For the sake of the camera, I'm not having to fake it. You know, like, you know, there's people <laughs> there. So, all right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to glean, understand. Lord, there's so much that you have for us here. Our adequacy is not in us. It's by your Spirit pray that your spirit would be speaking tonight. And I pray this in our Savior's name. Amen. In verse 4 we read this. But in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. Now, now stop right there. 
Do you hear what Paul just said? In all things, approving ourselves, commending ourselves, not for our glory, he's saying, but for God's glory, but in all things approving ourselves as the ministers of God. A minister is a servant. A servant of God. There is a work that needs to be done. Now, we think about something that maybe we have done or are doing. We teach, preach, uh, give, encourage, disciple, whatever it might be. Give out gospel tracts. There's things that we do. Paul did as well. Let's go on. In much patience, in afflictions, in necessities, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in watchings, in fastings, by pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, by love unfeigned, by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left, by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report, as deceivers and yet true, as unknown and yet well-known, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed, I love verse 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Folks, by the time, if you go through this low and slow and listen, etc., by the time you get to that and you recognize what Paul has been building up, it absolutely puts you on shouting ground. It really, really does. All right. So what we looked at first is we said, okay, be careful of God's grace. Verse 1, we then as workers together with him beseech you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Be it for salvation or for service, be careful. Verse 2, secondly, be careful of God's time. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When I read that verse, I think of Isaiah 55. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Number three, the concern for our testimony, and it is indeed a genuine concern, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. Now listen to me. Listen to me. You are going to be accused. You live for Jesus Christ and Satan will make sure that somebody somewhere accuses. And and I'm not talking about just it's got to be something super major. There are some things that just, you know, somebody gets upset or it's just them, they're irritable, you know, whatever, and they can accuse you of a hundred and one things. The point is, Satan always wants to make sure that God's people are not living a constant pleasant life in his territory. And this is his territory. 
Somebody's going to tell you that you did them wrong. Somebody's going to tell you that you could have done a better job. And you know, there are times when that's true. But don't let Satan use it as a tool to knock you out of what you're doing. If there's a right that needs, if there's a wrong that needs to be made right, do it. I, I remember hearing some t- one time said the three, you know, somebody said the three biggest enemies of Christians are Christians, Christians, and Christians. You know, if we're not careful in how we treat each other, is this a perfect place? No, but it's got a perfect Savior. And we're looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. So by God's grace, we can read here what Paul says. And in the midst of the accusations that were always flung at him, oh, my soul. So there's a checklist here. Paul, remember we were talking about consistency. Look at verse 4. But in all things approving ourselves. That's why I titled that this. Listen, Paul, this is, this is Paul. And all things approved. This is what he desired as the ministers of God. And then he began to work through that. The, the checklist is a challenge for us to follow his example. Remember, Paul said, be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. That doesn't mean that, you know, we're we're looking at Paul, okay, I want to do what, what Paul is. He says, listen, this is what I'm doing. I'm following Christ. You do the same. All right, let's fall in. We're, we're again, we're looking unto Jesus. Paul listed nine trials. Then he mentioned inner qualities in verses 6 and 7. And then a pair of paradoxes in verses 8 through 10. And in all of it, his desire was to remain consistent, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Now, in the heart, in your heart of hearts, you know where you are in that. We all have room to grow. Amen? And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we encourage each other. Now seriously, now, now, now hear me out. <clears throat> I don't know what God said to you during the week. You don't know what the Lord was dealing with in my heart. I want to do this, and, and, and this, this is a mindset that I desire to have. I want to have this mindset that you coming to church tells me that you want to do the right thing, that you want to grow. So I'm not going to look at you and go, can't believe they're here. No, I praise God you're here. I praise God anybody is here. Our focus is on this book. Our focus, for instance, tonight is on Paul. We want to see what God did in and through him. So, let's start it out. We'll be done by 8 o'clock. First of all, he said, in much patience. 
We're talking about steadfastness, endurance. This is the backbone of the rest. And much patience, he bare under the things that he went through, even though there was much that he did go through because his desire was Christ-likeness and consistency there. In 2 Corinthians 4, we read this, we're troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast out, but not destroyed. By the way, that's a tremendous word study there. I'd encourage you to go there. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He is saying, in consistency, in bearing under, in this patience, this is the fruit, and it's a joy to see. It's a joy to see Christ in us. As he said to the church at Colossae, the hope of glory. Whose glory? His glory. So in much patience, look at the next phrase, in afflictions. That describes a crushing. Now, now these first three words, he, they steadily get worse. This is a crushing this is a thing that just really seeks to crush the life out of someone. That's the afflictions that come, that the wicked one brings, that the world brings. So there's much patience. I'm remaining under this. There's afflictions. But then necessities. And this is a stronger term than the word for affliction. And it speaks of, it denotes the difficulties which arise from the necessities of life. He was enduring everywhere with all that was being thrown at him while he's seeking to live for the Lord with everything that was thrown at him. The hardships got harder. The difficulties got worse. This is what Paul did in his life. He learned to be happy. Now listen, here's a place for us to learn. He learned to be happy no matter the consequences. While he's in prison, he writes, not that I speak in respect of one, for I have come to this point, literally, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Now, as things go south in our world, there's going to be a greater need for us to, it's like, we stop and we consider, all right, <clears throat> am I going to be angry at the fact that I'm losing more and more of my constitutional freedoms? Or am I going to rejoice that God is still on the throne? Let me give you a hint. I don't even, I don't have this in my notes. I got to thinking about it. This is, this is kind of a for what it's worth. We have seen in communist countries, in different countries, you know, be it Russia or China, whatever, there's two groups of churches. There are the government-approved churches, and there are the non-government-approved churches. In many ways, we don't have that here in America yet. My personal opinion, that's coming. That's coming. My personal opinion, is that there will be a situation where the churches, where, where the government says, 
you know, if you, in helping us out, if you will adhere to, you know, whatever, an ESG score, or, you know, whatever it might be, you know, no problem. You can exist. Here's your license to help you exist. Now, will it happen? I'm neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. But I think there's a good chance that there will come a time that Bible-preaching churches, because we are not politically correct, Bible-preaching churches will not be recommended. And in fact, just like certain bakeries, certain uh, floral shops, we will have a big red X on us. Just a thought, I'm moving on. So there's patience, afflictions, necessities, and then distresses. Now, I'm not as bad as I used to be, but I used to be really claustrophobic. How many of you have ever dealt with that? Okay. You know, when, when, we, were, when we were in Israel and there were certain places that we went through, I was like, oh boy. I had a dream last night. I was in a very claustrophobic place, and I didn't like it when I woke up. There's times it's like, Lord, why did I even dream that? This is what it's talking about. We're talk when it uh, distresses, we're talking about things that, that beg our patience, then afflictions, then necessities, and it winds up getting us to the point where we feel like we're never going to get out of that. We can't get away. There's no door. There's no window. There's nothing. This is when we need to be reminded of what Paul said to the church at Rome. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. <laughs> Nay, we are more than conquerors. Aren't you glad for that? We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Now that's a joy. We can spend a lot of time there, but I've got a lot to go. Now he switches over to some situations that we wouldn't want in our society, but he went through it. Not only did he have these distresses, he had stripes. This, when it comes to a person during his time, was excruciating. It's not so much the whip that they would make, and there's all kinds of detail that you can have. With the Jew, they would say, okay, 40 stripes, save one. For the Roman, it was beat him within an inch of his life, and when it looks like he's about to die, stop. That was the apostle Paul. He was beaten on eight different occasions. 2 Corinthians 11.24, of the Jews, five times received I, 40 stripes save one. So to, from the Jews. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day have I been in the deep. You think anybody would have sold him life insurance? Can you imagine hey, listen, I want you to follow me in being a preacher for the Lord Jesus. Really? Tell me, what's the retirement like? Oh, yeah, there is no retirement. God, when he's done with you, you'll get killed 
your head, your head will come flying off your shoulders. No problem, I'll be there soon. Lord bless you, let's have at it. But that's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they did. Why? Because the Lord taught Paul something in 2 Corinthians 12 that I absolutely love, and we will be getting there sometime soon. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness, your weakness. Now, listen to this. Paul is giving a very brief detail, but using distinct Greek words to paint the picture of what he was seeking as he was in the midst of it all, what he was seeking to be consistent in. To be an approved minister of Christ. Not for his glory. Not for his. I mean, again, you read verse 3, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed. He wanted to go through all what the Lord desired him to go through, and yet not bring an accusation against the Lord. That, to me, is stunning. Now, if the stripes weren't enough, hey, how about imprisonments? Clement of Rome said that Paul was imprisoned seven times through his whole span of ministry. <laughs> he had to go someplace where he could write the epistles, you know, so just... I mean, you, you know, you, you've heard the joke the, uh, where the guy goes, you know, the preacher comes into the, uh, into the, uh, into the city where he's going to be preaching and he checks out the motels to see a good one, you know, that he can go to. Paul, he came in and he checked out the prisons. He figured, you know, this is where I'm going to be at. I mean, you stop and think, you know, what's the kind of mattress you got? Oh, I sleep on the dirt. Really, you got any roommates? Yeah, rats, cockroaches, you know, spiders, snakes. Yeah, that sounds exciting. What do you think, Brother Selby? That'll sell? Not for, okay, all right. But again, stop and think about it. This is where he wrote, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, as he brushed aside the cockroach. You know, not that I speak in respect of want, again, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. And it's not just that. He says, you know, in tumults as well. Now, what's a tumult? Oh, it's where they have a riot while you're preaching. Did Paul ever have a riot while he was preaching? My soul, they tried to tear the guy apart. The Jews wanted him. The Romans were trying at times to save his life. Other people, while he's preaching, there's others that they wind up getting um, accused. And so they're beaten Tumults? Are you kidding? John Wesley tells the story of what happened to him. He said he's preaching, and he says a mob came in like a flood, like a flood. He's trying to preach, but there's so much noise that's going on, you can't even hear yourself think, and he's still trying to preach. So what did they do? They thanked him and then told him to move on. No, they grabbed him and they literally dragged him 
through the town where he was seeking to preach, started at one end, and he said, they dragged me all the way through the street to the other end of the, of the, of, of the town. Now that's what I call somebody who's really wanting to be loved. No, I don't think so. I believe it was John Wesley. In fact, I know it was. When he would send people out, young men out to preach, he would ask two things. Number one, how many got saved? And they'd tell. Number two, how many got mad? Did you ever have that happen when you were in the prison cell, Sharon? Yeah, boy, I tell you what. Listen, what does Paul say? Romans 12, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place under wrath, for, venge- for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Now, I preach in here, I'm not going to get that kind of result. But you hand out tracts, you give the gospel. I remember one time I was trying to witness to a guy, there was a rally that was going on. And the fellow next to me was listening to what we were saying, and he jumped in. Have you ever bit your lip till it bled? I wanted so much to turn it into a tumult. Didn't, praise God, I didn't. But now he goes to this. There's the tumults, there's the times when we try to preach and share the gospel, and the Jews don't want it to happen. The Romans don't want it to happen. The townspeople don't want it to happen. Those that worship this God or their God, they don't want it to happen, whatever. But then through it all, there's just the mere fact of the labors in trying to get this done. That's the next word that he uses. No wonder he said in Romans 12, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. It's not easy many times truly to serve the Lord when you're in the midst of it. Preaching can be tiring, but also just simply doing the work of the Lord. It can be tiring. With Paul, it was immensely. And then he mentions in watchings. Now, this is sleeplessness. In their situation, we have to understand, we have to remember, the church was just starting to grow. In so doing, because of the newness of it all, there was much prayer that needed to be taking place in different areas as they were seeking to give the gospel. There's an old German proverb that says, if you would have your lamp burn, you must pour oil into it. There was a reason why they had sleeplessness. They needed to pray because they needed to ask God to bring his Holy Spirit to empower them by the Spirit in order for them to do the job. Then he says this, in fastings, it wasn't always because he was fasting, because he was praying, because he was seeking God to do a job. These people weren't blessed with fast food places. You know, it wasn't like that. Sometimes there was fasting because there was nobody to feed you. Paul says, look, this this is just the way it was. The Lord always provided, but not maybe as much as what normally people would understand. And then 
He said, by pureness. Now, again, we're talking about being blameless in the Lord. So there are these things that we went through, he's talking about. But when he said, by pureness, he used a word that the Greeks would use. The careful avoidance of all sins which are against the gods. Well, Christians took this and said, we want to be avoiding sin against the God of heaven. Excuse me, the God of heaven. We're talking about something where we keep away from what the world thrives on. Even in their religions, remember, they would have harlots that would work in different places like uh, the um, Diana of the Ephesians. Within 200 yards of that temple were temple prostitutes, male and female. To them, sin, you know, up to here. But with Christ, with the gospel, it was staying away from the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So he says in Philippians 2.15 that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. God's people are a peculiar people, the Bible says. Very unique. And then he says, by knowledge. This this kind of knowledge is the knowledge of things that need to be done. The Holy Spirit was constantly guiding them. This is what we have to do. There were not books in a Christian bookstore. This is where we're guiding. Like um, Roger uh, made... Uh, a point of saying, you know, sometimes the doors were open, sometimes they were closed. That's the knowledge that's, that is being mentioned here. Okay, this is where we go and this is what we do. But not only that, what was going on there? You go through the book of Acts, you understand. For instance, when the apostle Paul was on Mars Hill, he knew of the different gods that they were uh, looking to, and he noticed the one idol or, or the one place of worship they had to the unknown God. I'm going to use it. That's what he said. That's the kind of knowledge that's being spoken of here. Now, obviously, the most important knowledge that we need to have is the knowledge of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. That's where we start one from. We start with this book as we saw this morning. Now, look at the next word. Long-suffering, endurance, perseverance. This has to do, again, with that constancy that the Apostle Paul desired to have. Why? Because Galatians 5.22, Paul tells the church at Galatia, this is part and parcel of the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long suffering, a remaining under. Colossians 3.12, put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. And speaking of, the next one that he lists here in 2 Corinthians 6 is kindness, 
the idea of a moral goodness, a gentleness, an integrity, decency, working with people. That's one of the reasons why I love, as, as I'm working here and I'm preaching, teaching, you know, doing whatever, or Roger is leading the singing and stuff, I love watching Brad be at work making sure if there's children in here, they have something that needs to be done. If there's somebody here that needs help, he'll help them. That's what is going on here. That's what he means by kindness. Romans 12, 10. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. In other words, you're putting yourself out. Mike Kelly has a desire to start the choir again next week. Praise God. Oh man, that adds another hour to my schedule on Sunday. Yeah, it sure does. You know why? That's called kindness because God gave you a talent. I said God gave you a talent. You can sing. Yeah, I know. I, you know, I want to go to those places where I can, you know, use the karaoke. No, you want to be in church using that voice for the glory of God. I remember there was a lady, and this was years ago, years ago. There was a lady, I mean, we're singing in church one time, and all of a sudden I hear a voice open up behind me, and I thought, my soul, that lady has a wonderful voice. And she did. No matter how much we talked to her, she would never use it for the Lord. For whatever reason. And I know some people say, I'm just really scared to get in front of other people. We'll put you behind somebody. We'll put you behind somebody, a big somebody if we need. But use what God, what God has given you. Show kindness there. Do it for the glory of God. And all God's people said, not only that, speaking of the power, by the Holy Ghost. Paul knew that's where his power came from. That is where we ought to have our power come from. Be not drunk with wine, we're in success, Ephesians 5. But be filled with the Spirit. The word filled means controlled. Be controlled by the Spirit. Say, well, you know what? I'd rather be in control. i got a lot of things I want to do in this life. You know what I'm finding out? God knows a whole lot better what to do with my life than I do. I thought, you know what? This is silly. I'm going to ask him where he wants me to go on vacation. And so we are. That's the door God opened. If he closes it, that's fine. I've seen God in time past redirect us on our vacations. And boy, I'm so glad that he did. Now, sometimes the vacation got cut short. So I'm telling you right now, for the second half of the month of August, nobody dies, I forbid you to die. You will not be in a major accident. You will not be in the hospital. And if you do and you call me, the phone will automatically redirect to Brother Whiteside's number. He's not here. He just stepped out. 
Let's make some more changes. Let's see what happens when he comes in. And then also, by love unfeigned. True love is from God. God's love doesn't fail. Paul speaks of that in 1 Corinthians 13. You've read it before. Charity suffers long, is kind, it envies not, it vaunts not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, seeketh, thinketh no evil, etc., etc. That love, that agape love, again, is the love that God has, and his love is unconquerable. But then he goes on this. He says, by the word of truth. Now we talked about that this morning. What he said there in 1 Corinthians when it comes to the testimony of the word of God and how the Holy Spirit was guiding and getting them to understand what he, the Holy Spirit, wanted Paul and the others to write that was revealed to them. It's not only that, but the power of God. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now listen, there are people today, as also in time past, that are seeking for the faith that we are to live by, seeking to build it with the wisdom of man. That's a false prophet. I don't have anything in me that you need except what God gives me in the Word of God. You have a Bible. By the way, aren't you glad you have a Bible? For that reason, this is what we need. He says, my, my speech, my preaching, hey, not with man's wisdom. It doesn't stand in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. Now let me ask you right now, is the power of God what you want? Remember, Paul is making a list here. He says, these different places, these things that I've gone through, these things that the Lord has shown me, these are the things that are working when it comes to my consistency in the ministry that I have in Jesus Christ. There was a young man, age 14 years of age, that was listening to D.L. Moody preach. The year was 1882. D.L. Moody preached from Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, he preached on the first question that is ever asked in the Bible. God said to Adam, where art thou? That's the first question. 
And he said, that is the question that needs to be answered by every person on earth. Where art thou? God is seeking you. Where art thou? The power is not in the individual that's preaching it. The power is in the word of God where the question is being asked, where art thou? That young 14-year-old heard that question and it absolutely gripped his heart. He felt God asking him, where art thou? The young man went forward and was saved. He gave his life to the Lord. Three days later, he wrote his sister and he says, I'll never forget it. That question that God asked me, where art thou? He went on to be a pastor. From there, his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, they all heard the story of that message. There was a great-grandson who wound up serving the Lord, and he said this, in our lineage, in our family, there are over 100 of us, the vast majority of us, that are serving the Lord. He said, it all goes back to that one message. Where art thou? You know, that would really be something if the people that gather together in a church, they challenge themselves with that question. Letting the Holy Spirit speak to them. Hey, where are you right now? Antonio has surrendered to the Lord. In two weeks, we honor him. He's going to be taking off for Bible college. But where's the rest of us? When it comes to our status before the Lord, where art thou? Stop and consider it. Now Paul gets to the point, and I'm getting done as quick as I can. Paul closes out the last section with a series of contrasts. He says, by honor and dishonor. Doesn't matter. Whatever people accuse him of, he's going to serve the Lord. By evil report and good report. There were some that did an evil report. I'm going to have to skip through some stuff here. By evil report, a disgraceful language, a reproach. There were people that accused him. You're doing this for your own self. And there were others that said, no, no. This man is for real. As deceivers and yet true. The word interesting, the word deceiver comes from the word where we get our English word, planet. It means a wandering quack or imposter. You're a fraud, they're saying to him. No, true. He's preaching the word of God. As unknown and yet well-known. There was Paul, there were some people didn't know him. Others, oh yeah, he stood, or he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. He learned there, doesn't matter, as unknown and yet well-known, either way, as dying and behold we live, as chastened and not killed. Paul was chastened, but not killed. 
when somebody killed him and stoned him, the Lord brought him back to life. You know, as we serve the Lord, nobody can kill us until God's through with us. I read, I just recently read a story that was absolutely stunning to me. We got here in April of 1991. In August of 1991, do you remember when the Berlin Wall came down? Remember that? And then, slowly but surely, that Soviet empire began to crumble. I remember watching this on television play out, some of it. But I never heard this whole story because the mainstream media didn't talk about it. Listen to this. There were communist hardliners, the KGB as well, in Moscow. They were angry with their loss of Eastern Europe. They seized control of the Soviet government while Mikhail Gorbachev was in Crimea on vacation. He was, he was, he was confined there during this coup they were trying to pull off. Some of you maybe have read about this before. The KGB said, Gorbachev is ill, he's no longer president. Boris Yeltsin and the Russian parliament were trapped in the parliament building, and I remember the tanks being around that building. What took place was literally thousands of Russian citizens surrounded that building and would not let the soldiers go in. If they had to, they were in, they, they're going to have to kill them. Tanks, troops surrounded the building, and people waited to see what was going to go on. In a book entitled Candles Behind the Wall, this is written. Ivan Karlanov and Anatoly Rudenko of the Bible Society in Moscow discussed how to persuade the troops not to fire on the people. They contacted Bible societies literally around the world and said, please pray for us. They went and got a truck full of Bibles and New Testaments. They got people, they got God's people there to the building and they started going to tanks, to soldiers, and giving them Bibles and telling them, this book says, thou shalt not kill. Are you going to kill us? Some of the soldiers put it in their pocket. Others, they began to read it immediately. But they were told all the time. They were told, these soldiers, these tank commanders were asked, are you going to kill us? This one lady, she banged on this tank, banged and banged and banged some more. And finally, this Russian, this Russian officer threw the top open, came out, and this lady said, here, you take this. It says, thou shalt not kill. Are you going to kill us? Well, the guy was kind of flustered. And he said, no, 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 we're not going to kill anybody. That started happening to the point that an entire unit of Russian tanks 
defected to the other side, turned their tanks around, and were now defending the building. There were, there were Russian soldiers that worked for the KGB. And they, in their entirety, refused the orders that the KGB were giving them to go in and take these people out. And for that reason, the coup collapsed. Nothing. Because God's people went in and started handing out Bibles and telling the soldiers and telling the tank commanders, this book says, thou shalt not kill. Now understand something. Most of these people had never seen a Bible. Now they're holding one. Some of them had wanted to see one sometime, and now they have it. And they're learning that it says, thou shalt not kill. God's work. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There have been times, remember, Demas hath forsaken me. At my first answer, no man stood with me, Paul said, but all men forsook me. And then, lastly, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, and yet possessing all things. Now, I, I want you to stop and hear this. Do you realize that this is what we do? We're making people rich. We don't have all the money, but God has all the resources. Everything that we can see in this world one day will disappear. But we're going to be going to a place where the streets are made of gold. We are going to a place that's priceless. We're making many rich. Not because of us, but because of him. I got to meditating on that, and it's like, my soul. Now, I'm going to make a racist statement right now. I'm going to make a racist statement. I love a good black preacher. I'm telling you, there's some... I remember I used, uh, th there was a couple that I used to listen to. This one guy, he was like a freight train. He preached a message entitled, Jesus is Lord. And he just got to going like an old steam locomotive. Only it lasted about 40 minutes. And by the time he got to the end, it was like, I mean, he is chugging along. And all of a sudden, pow, Jesus is Lord. And I mean, you got the whole point right there. It was awesome. There's a black preacher that was, when he was younger, 
He was a slave. And I've read him before. Maybe there's been a couple of you that have. John Jasper. How many have ever read John Jasper? It's fantastic. He was doing a funeral one time. And that people that he had there in that funeral for an hour and a half were absolutely spellbound. I want to read you some of his words. I loves to go down the old muddy James River. Mighty red and muddy. But it goes along so grand and quite like it was tending to business. But that ain't nothing to the river which flows by the throne of God. I longs for its crystal waves, and the trees on the banks, and all manners of fruits. This old head of mine often gets hot with fever and rolls on the pillow, and I has many times desired to cool it in that blessed stream as it kisses the banks of the upper Canaan. The thought of seeing that river, drinking its water and resting under those trees, oh, to be there. After that, I'd stroll up them avenues, where the children of God dwell and view their mansions. Father Abraham, I'm sure he's got a great palace. And David and Paul, the mighty scholar who got struck down on the Damascus Road, I want to see his mansion. Then I cuts around to the back streets, and I looks for the little home where my Savior set up my mother to housekeeping. I expect to know the house by the roses in the yard and Vine on the porch. But then all of a sudden, John Jasper leaps back and he goes, wait a minute, there it is, there's mine. He says this, too good for a poor sinner like me, but he built it for me, a turnkey job, and mine forever. And he went on like this for an hour and a half. And they say, nobody moved. People were listening to describe how rich they were going to be in heaven. You know, you look at this list of what Paul said. By the time you get to that last part, it's like, my soul poor, going through all this, but making many rich. It's having nothing but possessing all things. That's us. That's our calling. I don't know what God would have us go through, but boy, when we get to heaven, we'll realize it was worth it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.